Welcome to Tech Talk Live, a resource produced by Vision Forward. Low vision and blindness technology, tips, tricks, and information presented in a way that makes sense. And now, here are your hosts, Corey and Luke. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tech Talk Live, a very special episode here. It is Thursday. It is August. Is it really August? It's really oh, August. Okay. It's Thursday. It's August. And we are here at Vision Forward to talk about the intracortical visual prosthesis, or the ICVP yeah. for, uh, for short there. And uh, we are going to be joined by two special guests, which we're very excited about. And we will introduce them uh, shortly. Uh, but for the moment, I hope everybody is doing OK on this nice sunny day, or sunny here in Milwaukee, anyway. It is nice. Yeah. And um, I hope that you're all looking forward to the show. Uh, as usual, these shows are eligible for ACVREP credits. Corey. They What's are. The deal with that? First, uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are eligible for ACVREP credits. Yes. Head over to vision-forward.org/techtalklive under the ACVREP uh, resources heading. You'll find a link for the evaluation form. Go ahead and fill out the that evaluation form. Be as honest as possible. Uh, we we have thick skin. Um, although we prefer all fives, if you don't mind. Actually, uh, I'm very sensitive, so you are very okay. Yeah, so please be please be very nice. Well, to us. be nice to Luke, but be yeah. honest for, to me. That's fine. <laughs> um, and and part of that evaluation form is your entrance and exit code. Today's entrance code is yeah. visual. 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 And we'll get it in the chat in just a moment. Visual. But again, that's vision-forward.org slash. Tech Talk Live, and your entrance code for today is visual. Visual. I'm going to put it in the chat here. And speaking of the chat, as usual, we uh, we would like as many questions as possible. Please. Um, so uh, you can feel free to put those into the chat or into the Q&A, either way, and we will answer them as we go along. And just bear in mind, if you are putting them in the chat, you want to make sure that you're putting them to all panelists and attendees. Uh, yes, I think it defaults to panelists. to panelists, although it's not. I mean, we'll still see it either way. But if you yeah. want everyone else to see your uh, very intelligent question, uh -huh. then make sure you put panelists. Yeah, I hope they have intelligent questions, because uh, that's more than we'll have. I have never seen an unintelligent question in our, no, in the chat. In our chat no, ever only before. From us. We just don't read them. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Corey, what is it that we do every episode? Well, every episode we get together yes. and we talk about yes. uh, our day. Yes. And we talk about our favorite foods. Do we? <laughs> I don't remember this. <laughs> okay. I was actually thinking of the joke of the day. Oh, we do have our uh, our joke corner hour. Yes, we do. And they are I know how many people every single tech talk live tech talk live they're looking forward to our jokes they go home they tell their families Pretty sitting much around the what, what people dinner are joining table. us for they really are yeah. i know it's funny cuz as soon as our joke uh, is done, we lose yeah. like 80% of our <laughs> participants. We think it's because they're all rushing to go tell their friends and family. It's not that the jokes are so bad. Uh, but we do have a joke today and yes. today's joke is why did yeah. the scarecrow uh -huh. win an award? Oh, um, I'm guessing he must have been good at, good at his job. That could be it. I'm going to give yeah. it just a quick second. Let's see if anyone throws in their answer in the chat. Yes, anybody know why the Scarecrow won an award? And it's almost getting to Scarecrow season, so I think this is fairly topical. It's starting to knock on, getting close to fall. Kids are going, my kids go back to school in a couple weeks. Oh, it's, this year is just flying past. I know. As it does. Know. Oh, wait, wait, we have an answer. Okay, go. For, okay, I'm going to, I can't pronounce this <laughs> name. That's okay. Um, but uh, apologies. Um, but the answer was, let's see if this is correct. He was outstanding in his field. Yes. Uh, Out, he, he won an award because he was outstanding in his field. <laughs> I, you know what? I disagree. I oh. believe. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe it's okay. that instead. Okay, there we go. Excellent. <laughs> um, good job, Mr. or Mrs. Uh, Verhan Verluels. That's what the name is. Okay. Yeah. okay. And uh, somebody also said, he is outstabbed bug of gas fueled. 
I believe that's very close. Yes. There's two problems. Either yes. It sounded a bit German. Yeah. Or it sounded like the fingers were just off the keys. I think to the, one the side. fingers were so excited to <laughs> yes, get the answer exactly. in there that they made a few mistakes. But uh, excellent job there. Very people. good. And if anybody has any jokes of their own, of course, then we always welcome them in the chat. Please. Corey, what have you been uh, up to recently? Anything fun? Just a couple family vacations, going nice. camping. I was gone because I, I was gone the East Side uh, two weeks ago. Yes, I was gone yes, for that yes, one. You were yes. riding solo, and yes. everything went great. Yes, it did. Yeah. Uh, which well, apart from me forgetting proves, to unmute my microphone, uh, it was actually when I went back to watch it uh -huh. afterwards. Yeah. And the music stopped, and then it was <laughs> silent. Silence. I was like, totally forgot to unmute himself, <laughs> uh, which is typically my job. So yes. at least you know what though. I, I, what it showed me is that I'm needed, and you it are. really, it really is. It was it was such a a, a nice thing to hear. Yeah. So. No, other yeah. than that, nothing. Just getting ready to move. So. Yes, indeed. What yes. about you? Well, I went to Kentucky. As okay. I was uh, telling you, spent a few days in Kentucky there. Yeah. Yeah. Now the plan was to go stay at a state park, and uh, do a little bit of uh, hiking. Yeah. Unfortunately, it transpired that uh, my wife is deadly afraid of bears. Okay. Unknown to me <laughs> to this point. So also not a fan of snakes. Okay. And so the signs which warned of bears and snakes kind of put her off uh, wanting to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I would think a state park outside hiking. Yeah. Probably not doesn't yeah. lend well to someone that's afraid of bears and snakes. So it appears. So oh it my. Appears. Yeah. Well, well she was thinking that. we could get bear spray. But apparently they don't have bear spray. What? Them, so. so side note, I, and and we have two guests who are who are patiently <laughs> waiting. But <laughs> yeah. bear spray? Do you is this is this like mace for bears or is it a deterrent? Like, do you spray it at a bear as he's charging so you? So the idea or is, is scare... as the bear comes toward you, uh -huh, uh -huh. you stand your ground. Yes. And spray the bear spray into its face. And it says, "Hey, I that's think it's not more. Cool. I think it's more a deterrent. Maybe it's pe like pepper. I, I Doesn't couldn't you just use like mace or hairspray or?" Probably. I mean, that's not very nice to the bear. No, no. But Whip, my question could is... Could you use whipped cream? My, yeah, and then he'd be like... He'd no, be like, oh, running more. after you then. He'd be like, want more. More, please. <laughs> um, no, my question is, who's got the balls to stand there as the bear's running toward them? Well, they always say if you are attacked by a bear, you, yeah, you should you never away. run. You, you should run stand away. still. So. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, I did convince her to do a short walk and there were no bears. Good, so. good. Tons of snakes, but yeah. no bears. But we did do the Evan Williams bourbon experience and uh, I would highly recommend it because it was, that was good. way better than I expected. Good. Um, I'm not particularly interested in bourbon, but it was a really interesting tour. Okay. And, uh, you don't remember the second half, but it was well, very yeah, good. Well, exactly, yeah, but that's how I know it was good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, highly, highly recommend it. Awesome. Uh, Marie uh, here says, bear spray is a last ditch effort. Look up a bear hazing to learn how to scare one off properly. Ooh. All right, now I'm interested. Uh, Is it like bears bear who go hazing. to, they, they're at a fraternity? Uh, that's what I was wondering, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Poor bears. <laughs> um, yeah, I know the, the advice that we got was, um, was uh, try and make yourself look big. Make lots of noise. Okay. Um, play dead was another one if you're getting mauled. Hopefully hmm. it doesn't come to that. Pretty sure the bear helps with that, playing dead. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's like, oh, you don't need to play. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, a couple uh, more minutes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. And, well, I'm uh, glad you... Sorry, Mary also says, my sister works at Yosemite and deals with bears frequently. Oh. Now, bear is a tough lady. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's probably enough. Uh, this is not bear talk, it however much I would like not, it to be. It's not survivor man no, or woman. No. No. Bear grills. Oh, yeah. You're yeah, bear he's, grills. he was awesome. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is let's tech do talk. It. So let's talk about some tech. So... I am very happy to uh, introduce our guest today. We have two guests. Now, let me just pull up the notepad here. So we have with us Dr. Troik, who is Executive Director of the Pritzker Institute of Biomedical Science and Engineering and Professor in the Department of Biomedical Engineering at IIT. And we also have Dr. Lane, Associate Professor of Psychology and Chair of the Department of Psychology at IIT. I don't think we've ever had guests with such impressive uh, no. credentials on before. So this is our first first. And uh, hello, Dr. Troik and Dr. Lane. How are you today? Welcome. Thanks for having us here. You are quite welcome. Yes, very, very happy to have you on. We're, uh, we're excited to talk about this topic because it's outside of our usual realm of topics. Yeah. Uh, we would normally cover assistive technology <coughs> devices, which are, uh, are kind of external devices. 
Um, but what we're talking about here is a medical device which would actually be implanted uh, on the visual cortex. So something a little bit different, something that I don't know that um, too many people have, have heard about uh, necessarily at the moment. So we're definitely interested to uh, introduce our listeners and our, our watchers to, uh, to the project. So uh, why don't you start off Dr. Troik and Dr. Lane by telling us a little bit about uh, the project and, and how it got started. So um, the project is called um, ICVP, which is a short name for the Intracortical Visual Prosthesis. And this is a project that actually has its, uh, its early roots back at the National Institutes of Health, uh, dating back to 1970. Oh, wow. And a huge amount of work and efforts gone on by, by many people who have dedicated their careers to it. And about 2000, <clears throat> uh, my group uh, in, inherited and adopted the project after it was transitioned out of the NIH. And basically, <clears throat> this is a system of implantable micro-sized modules that are implanted in one side of the brain in the vision portion of the brain. And that's located just in the back of the head, right above the neck. So if, if you put your hand back there and just kind of feel where your, your head sort of you know bows down towards your neck, right yep. there on each side, that's called the occipital lobe. All right. And that's where it receives the vision information that projects from the retina through the optic nerve and eventually gets to that area of the brain. And that's where your brain starts to process vision information. So <clears throat> the idea here is that we put in a little collection of modules that have tiny little electrodes that stimulate the neurons that are in that portion of the brain. And the modules are about the size of the bump on the top of an AA battery. Okay. So nice they're very small, small mm -hmm. and they're wireless and they act like a little miniature cell phone network in the brain. <laughs> and we can call them up and we can command them to stimulate the vision area of the brain using tiny electric currents that go through electrodes that come from these little modules. And the modules, um, are uh, each have about 16 electrodes each and um, you can put a collection of them maybe up to 40 50 of them and the idea is that you take vision information that would be captured by a camera or a you know a video camera mm -hmm. uh, probably mounted on glasses and then communicated directly to the brain using these wireless modules bypassing the eyes and the optic nerve and so it's highly experimental, and right now it's for evaluation on people who have profound blindness, yeah. basically no light perception. And the idea is to provide a crude type of artificial vision. Excellent. I see uh, uh, Natasha just uh, raised her hand. Uh, but Natasha, we don't do uh, hand raising here. So if you have a question, please just put it in the Q&A or uh, in the chat. Um, that's very interesting what you were saying there, Dr. Troikin. You said that um, the project had originally started in the 70s with the NIH. Um, but I assume at that time um, it wasn't uh, a kind of a wireless system they were looking at. It would be, you know, because the technology wasn't there at that time, I assume. So no, was the idea was at that point then. to have the wires yeah. coming out of the head? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think the original NIH concept did have a package that was kind of like a pacemaker that of size that would be implanted in the head. And there have been other approaches that have a connector that's on the side of the head. Mm -hmm. But um, but ours is completely wireless and the little modules have no connecting wires or cables. And so once they're put in the brain, the covering over the brain that's called the dura is completely closed, the skull is closed, and there's no externalized connections or, um, or other hardware that's implanted. So they really are, if I can say it, kind of a a, a remarkable element of engineering that we've done, which allows these little miniature devices that you can think of as, as small cell phones with area codes and phone numbers that we can call up and and tell the vision cortex, uh, you know, the information that's coming from the camera. That's uh, that's a great analogy. I like that a lot. And um, is it is it the case that the technology to do this um, has only come about recently? Um, you know, or well, the the NIH funded uh, work, you know, over a 20, 30 year period for the mm -hmm. fundamental technology. But the little modules uh, really have been under development for 20 years. Oh, wow. Uh, in, in our team, in our laboratory, our team is made of eight institutions. And so um, academic and corporate institutions. So this has been a project that has has had a lot of people dedicated a lot of their lives to it over the past 20 years. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. We have a question from Doug in the chat here who asks. Uh, I think this is a very good question. How the uh, the the modules that are implanted onto the visual cortex are powered? So it's magnetic powering. It's kind of like the same thing that that charges your phone when you have a wireless uh, a charging pad for your phone that you put it on. So it's magnetic powering, and there's like a there's a device, a donut type size device that goes on the outside of the the head in that area and it communicates powers and communicates with the devices through uh, through a magnetic field that is hmm. amazing yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> that's really amazing so okay so imagine that i'm a, a person who has these implants and i i need to charge them how does that work is it like every day i have to kind of have well, this, this actually, donut thing or yeah they don't store charge uh, okay. you have to oh, power so that's them while the you're using it yeah I and see, so I it see. really is a safety factor because once the donut a transmitter outside is pulled away, the devices are completely inert. Okay, sure. excellent. We have a question in the chat from Lisa who uh, asks whether the, uh, who says that the person, she thinks that the person using the ICBP uh, previously uh, needed to have some vision and uh, why is that the case? I'll let Frank take that question. So we, um, in our project, we did a fairly extensive interview of individuals that um, received implants from uh, earlier implants from prior projects. Mm -hmm. And what we discovered was that um, uh, these individuals, some of them had use usable vision with what we call phosphenes, and they were able to independently go to their, um, empty their trash in the trash can. They were able to identify um, uh, kitchen utensils on a white counter. So the, um, the, the first, well, not first, but the project that we became aware of and that we interviewed the, the individuals, that's what they, um, that's what they were able to see. So I think <clears throat> to, to, to directly address the, uh, uh, I think Lisa's question, um, yes, as far as we know, uh, the person who would participate, and we're looking for five participants who would volunteer for the project, um, they would need to have had prior normal vision mm -hmm. up to maybe about the age of 10, and that's so that that region of the brain would develop properly. Otherwise, yes. we're not quite sure what kind of neural machinery we would be interfacing with. Yeah, and I that actually find sense. that question very interesting, uh, whether in the future it might be possible to work with somebody who's been blind from birth and how exactly that would work. Um, you know, yeah, that's how it worked for cochlear speeds. implants, right? Because yeah, 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 yeah. And then, then you get to train the area of the brain to better exactly. use the artificial vision. But, yeah, but right yeah. now, as far, you know, where we are in the project, which is the inaugural stage, mm -hmm. we're looking for people who have no light perception yeah. now in either eye, both eyes, but uh, did have approximately normal or correctable vision up to about the age of 10. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Let's just uh, backtrack to the way that, uh, that the ICBP works. Um, so um, you have these chips on the visual cortex and you are wearing a camera, which uh, is probably gonna be in a pair of uh, sunglasses or, or something like this. And the camera is wirelessly transmitting uh, information to the implants on the brain, which are stimulating the visual cortex uh, to release phosphenes. And this is going to give some level of vision. That's my understanding. Please feel free to correct anything <laughs> I got wrong there. But that's uh, kind of how that's I basic, it. That's basically right. You know, when okay. you, everybody knows that when you stimulate that area of the brain electrically, you get a perception of little spots, and those spots are called phosphenes. Mm. And the idea is that with enough phosphenes, you can assemble a type of artificial vision. Okay. And so, yeah, that, that, that's basically how it works, but how to communicate to the brain, what to tell the brain, how to mm -hmm. translate the image information, these are all unknowns. And this is really a pioneering study in which our, our participants really have to tell us what, what's happening and what's going on. They're, they're, they're pioneers. They're like astronauts going into, we like to think of them that way, going to a place nobody's ever been. Excellent, yeah. And so I think that's definitely a good uh, motivation for people who want to uh, benefit um, you know, other people with visual impairments going forward into the future. Um, you know, that's a really good reason to, to get involved in the project. Um, for sure. Um, and it's a fairly limited number of people who will be eligible because there are fairly strict guidelines. Um, but um, those people who are eligible, I think it, it's a great thing for, for them to get involved in. 
Um, one thing is, though, and so we have a question here in the chat, um, which is asking how the electrode arrays are implanted on the brain. So, so that is uh, one thing that we should talk about, because, I mean, it is essentially brain surgery that needs to be done. But um, from what I understand, it's, it's, you know, it's uh, quite low risk and it's not very complicated. Do you want to talk a little bit about, about that process? I love how you say it's not very complicated well, <laughs> and, and brain surgery in the same in the same. As far as brain surgery goes, sure. you know. Got it. Got you it. Got it. Well, yeah. if, you're, if you're a neurosurgeon, you'd say it's not very complicated. Yeah, exactly. That, that's yeah. Very, yeah. that is and very For me, it would be but, very hard, I'm sure. But, but the yeah. type of surgery that's done, which is to, it's called a craniotomy, in which uh, a, a section of the skull is actually removed and then the brain is exposed and the devices are placed in and then it's, the section of the skull is put back mm -hmm. and then it heals back in place. Uh, this is the most common form of cranial surgery that's done and it's done mm -hmm. all the time, particularly for people that, that have epilepsy and they want to diagnose where on the brain the epilepsy is starting. Sure. So yeah. it, it, it's a pretty common procedure and it's, it, neurosurgeons would say it's the lowest risk. In our case, it's even lower because you really don't do anything to the brain. And that speaks to the question that Gene has about how are they attached to the brain. They look like, if you looked under a microscope, like little miniature hairbrushes mm -hmm. with these little tiny electrodes. And the electrodes are only about uh, uh, the thicknesses of 10 pieces of paper. So they're wow. very, very tiny. And mm -hmm. they just pop into the brain. We have a little tool that pushes them into the brain. And they just stay there. And then the covering of the brain, which is called the dura matter, is just closed back over and they just stay there. So they don't really have to be attached. They don't have to be so sutured or anything like that. They just naturally stay in place. I imagine uh, a sort of a staple gun that just staples them <laughs> into the visual cortex. Well, actually, we, 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 we use the analogy of a nail gun, but some people okay. don't like to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> but, that sounds dangerous. Yeah. But they, it actually is. They actually are. They're, they're put in at very high speed because yeah, that yeah, minimizes yeah. tissue damage and everything. Sure. And they're just kind of, the surgeon does it is very quick. They're just popped in. And in, you know, in 10 minutes or so, they, they can do, uh, you know, 12 or 15 devices very easily. Wow, that's amazing. I, uh, yeah, I recently uh, had to do some, uh, something with a drywall in our, in our house. And so I had to cut a piece of drywall out to, uh, to put some wood in between um, some studs there. And this is how I imagine the uh, craniotomy going. Just, uh, uh, you know, you that, know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that so analogy just, is quite, yeah. Yeah. And then once you put the drywall back, you put a bit of tape over it and put some mud over it. And uh, there you go. It's all good. So <laughs> just back together again. <laughs> exactly. Stick it back together. Um, that's really cool. So, I mean, I think the, the technology is, um, is amazing. And the thing about doing it like this is it bypasses um, the optic nerve and the eye. So, I mean, if there are, is damage along the pathway there, um, it doesn't matter, uh, which isn't the case for other devices, even other medical devices. So, I mean, obviously, wearables in assistive technology at the moment are quite popular. And uh, the types of wearable devices that you would see on the market are generally um, vision uh, enhancement devices, oftentimes very useful for macular degeneration. Uh, they usually work through magnification and contrast enhancement. Um, but in order for that to work, um, uh, number one, I mean, generally you're looking at somebody with vision that's around 2800 or better. Um, and number two, the visual pathway has to be intact because mm -hmm. um, you still need uh, the image to get through to the brain and, and be translated there. Um, so obviously for people who are uh, no light perception, um, a device like that is, is not going to be uh, useful. Um, and uh, even with previous medical devices, I mean, um, there was the, uh, the Argus, uh, which was uh, being used for people with retinitis pigmentosa. And that device uh, was similar in concept, but um, the electrode array was implanted onto the retina. And so again, That's if correct. you had, uh, yeah, so if you had any optic nerve uh, damage, then again, that uh, wouldn't yeah. have been uh, suitable. Uh, whereas with, with this uh, device, because you're going straight onto the visual cortex, then you're bypassing um, any potential problems in, in that area. Um, so um, that seems uh, really neat. Um, I think the, the biggest uh, kind of challenge at the moment is, is just um, understanding what type of vision somebody who has this uh, implanted might expect. And um, that's what the, you know, the kind of trials are about. Um, have you got any ideas what people might expect to be able to see? Well, you know, I'll give a short answer and then Frank can, 
can give, give an answer from other people who have had other cortical implants, although not like our technology. But uh, we don't expect it to restore normal vision. I mean, we don't have, you know, you have about 10 million connections that go to that area of the brain that start at the retina. And, you know, at best, you know, we, we could put in 500 or 600 electrodes. So uh, one won't have any kind of vision that's like biological vision. Mm -hmm. You won't be able to clearly see faces. It'll be very crude. And the best analogy I could give is, you know, you know, a kitchen colander that has all the little holes in it that you, you wash the noodles and that. Well, sure. if you took mm -hmm. that and you held that up in front of your face for a normal person, and then you kind of moved it around the room and, and kind of looked around through those holes, that's how we're guessing it might be like. But okay. nobody really knows. Frank, do you, you have some comments on what type of vision people might expect? Sure. Um, we've been pretty, um, pretty surprised and amazed when we've talked to individuals who've had an earlier, cruder form of, um, of a device like this. Um, we had one individual who could see seven phosphenes, and with those seven phosphenes, they would line up along the side of a sidewalk so that he could ambulate independently into town and back to his house again. Um, and for whatever reason, these phosphenes would be the most brilliant colors if he was looking at an oak tree, which we still have yet to understand exactly That's awesome. what that means. Um, but for this guy, it improved his quality of life. He, he enjoyed the fact that he could see oak trees. Yeah, and I think that has to be the name of the game. Ultimately, it's it's working to improve people's quality of life through uh, giving them some kind of functional vision, even if it's not, um, you know, what we might consider to be regular vision. You know, something yeah. that improves function is, is is important. And I think it's important to, you know, as Dr. Choi said before too, that thinking of these individuals as as astronauts. You know, I think as myself, somebody who had detached retinas in both eyes and really don't have a lot of usable uh, vision at this point, you know, for me, you know, I, you know, obviously these, these individuals who are, who are taking part in this study in the beginning are kind of pioneering and paving the way for what the future could hold, mm -hmm. you know, today it's not, uh, you know, it's not similar to, to, you know, uh, you know, typical vision, but who knows what 50, 100 years or, or less, you know, could look like. You've got to take those initial steps in order yeah, to, uh, yeah, yeah. to move and, to models potential in the future. And, and having real, realistic expectations, but also embracing, you know, what is available. This, the gentleman who was able to walk into town or, or, you know, brilliant colors with oak trees, you know, on the surface, those two things may sound um, like not a whole lot, but as part of this program and really embracing that, that those are those first couple steps. Yeah. And Corey, I'm interested as a person who is blind, um, I'm, interest, I'm interested in your perspective on uh, uh, like the idea of the technology, mm -hmm. uh, like whether you think um, it would be something useful to you potentially in the yeah, future. Yeah. You know, for me, as somebody with damage, it's seriously damaged retinas at this point and, and so much scar tissue that's formed over it. You know, my eyes at this point are pretty much, you know, th there isn't much. So I any solution that needed um, healthy retinas, you know, I would be out uh, out of luck. So yeah. I love this idea of, of bypassing the eyes altogether, bypassing the optic nerves, although mine are fine. But for those who, who have optic nerve damage, uh, you know, I love this idea of, of being able to bypass those things. It's a little harder for me uh, as somebody right now because of the a little bit of it, you know, my left eye is completely black, my right eye, I do have some you know, very blurry and light perception. For me, it's everything and, and I use it on a daily basis. So, you know, like this, what we're talking about today, I wouldn't risk giving up what I currently have to get what's, you know, could potentially be uh, provided by, by these solutions today. But on the flip side, if I was completely no light perception, I 100% would be on board. I'd love the idea of, of, of being a pioneer in this and really helping and showing, you know, this is what we're seeing. This is what, you know, and, and I think that's part of why it's so important for an individual to have uh, had, had vision, normal vision in the, in the past, not only to ensure that the visual cortex is, is, is formed and, 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 you know, 
appropriately formed, but also so that they can communicate what they're seeing. Mm, you know, if yeah. you've never had vision before and someone says, what are you seeing? Yeah, how do you, no how do you explain that? <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah. uh, so yeah. being able to have the, that language and that experience to, to, to voice what you're seeing. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah, you're, I'm, you're I'm excited. You're making some great points here, and um, it is an FDA-approved clinical trial that's taking place uh, uh, in Chicago uh, in cooperation with Rush Medical University uh, Medical Center and the Chicago Lighthouse, where the testing will be done. But um, the FDA w did actually have concerns. They said if, if a person has any residual vision, since we don't know what the effects will be, we don't know what the effects will be on the brain, so we don't want to have risking of even, yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. so having no light perception, which is really defined as if you can see a hand waving in front of your face, you don't qualify. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's no light perception because we really do want people who, uh, and volunteers who uh, are, are doing it because uh, they want to help the field, as you mentioned, and they want to pave the way and help us learn about how these interfaces could actually be useful. For people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And you know, yeah, I, like I don't think you, I can underscore enough the importance of regarding the participants as pioneers. This is uh, something that we've heard about from prospective participants for a number of years now. And we take it so seriously that we actually regard the, the candidates, the participants in the study as fellow researchers along with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Um, let's just uh, answer a couple of questions that we got in the chat here, if we could. Um, so uh, Jean asks whether all, and again, this is some great questions we're getting, so thank you uh, to the audience here. Um, Jean asks, do all areas of the visual cortex process stimuli in the same way so it doesn't matter where on the visual cortex you put your electrode arrays? Mm -hmm. Well, the answer to that question is no, they don't. And uh, in fact, where we're putting them, which is on the surface of this of the occipital lobe, we're actually going into what's called primary vision cortex, but we're actually going into other areas that process vision. So no, uh, it, it, they don't process all the same way, but we don't know exactly how it process. So this artificial interface that we've technologically created, uh, and I'm an engineer, so I'm very proud of the technology. But when they're implanted, you know, my work is done. And now it's really the vision scientists and the psychophysical training in which we have to discover how that will happen. And, and I, I see another question here is, would one see right away? And, and the answer is no. First, we have to find out what each electrode does. So you try the electrode and you say, where do you see a spot? And they the participant will sort of point to where they see it and we have to map them and then once we map them then we can try to look at strategies for how we can encode images and use those those dots those phosphenes that are there so there is an extensive training and and evaluation period and that's why you know we say again to emphasize the pioneering aspect of this because it's even more than vision it's it's really the first uh, multi-channel, completely wireless interface to the brain. Mm -hmm. And now we're trying to figure out how do we talk to the brain? And, you yeah. know, imagine if you opened up a computer and threw a bunch of wires inside and said, <laughs> well, I want windows to come up on the screen, right? Yeah. You know, so th that's kind of what we're trying to do. But, uh, but it, it's, it's exciting for the team. It's exciting for the field. And uh, we feel it'll be uh, exciting for the participants. What type of, uh, so you had mentioned the training, uh, the training process there. What type of activities might people uh, expect to do if they're part of the trial? Well, <clears throat> uh, after, the, after the devices are implanted, there'll be about a month of a recovery period. And then we'll have an inaugural evaluation to see that, that everything's basically working. And then um, probably about uh, uh, two to three days a week uh, at the Chicago Lighthouse, where we have a specialized laboratory set up. <clears throat> and uh, it'll be a series of tests where we, we apply and communicate with the devices in different ways. And we ask the person, OK, what do you perceive here? What do you perceive there? 
And um, eventually, we hope that then this will be built up into sort of a, a palette in which we can try to exploit and create this artificial vision. Okay. So um, in many respects, it'll, it'll be hard work. And um, the, you know, the people who will be involved, the volunteers, will have to have stamina and dedication for certain. And presumably they will have to be in the Chicago land area because they're going to need to be able to get to the Chicago lighthouse to, uh, to do the re. The well, thing. we originally had planned for that, but actually we've now uh, made we, we're, we've now altered those plans so that if someone lives out of the northern Illinois area or even out of Illinois, that we can accommodate them traveling and segmenting the testing sessions in a way that um, uh, would allow them then time to, to go back to where they live. So we feel that is feasible at this point. Okay. And how many participants, I'm not sure if you said this already, how many participants are you looking for at the moment? The study allows for five participants, and that okay. would be over a three-year period. And we would implant the, the, ideally, we'd like to identify all five. And we mm -hmm. gather them together like the astronauts did in a group. <laughs> and then we say, okay, who's the first that's going to go up in the capsule, right? <laughs> but, but that may have been a little optimistic. And with COVID, you know, it, that, that might be a little unrealistic. But we would implant a first individual. And then based on those results, then we would do two groups of two. So then we would do two and three and then four and five okay. over the three-year period. Okay. And so... Um... So the first person would come, they would get the implant, start doing the rehabilitation, and then you would move forward from there. And when is the, uh, what's the projected timeline for, for all of this to happen? Well, we're guessing that uh, after the first person's implanted, there would be about a four to five month period of evaluation. So we can learn, that first participant will be very important. Yeah. Okay, sure. and we will, we will learn from them. And then, so probably about uh, eight months later or so, uh, maybe six, we would be implanting the second and third, and then we would test them for about four or five months, and then we would implant the fourth and fifth. Cool, yeah. And I'm... that gives us a chance to alter the system if, if we need to. Are you looking to start uh, the, the first uh, candidate this year? Would that be the plan? We are ready immediately. Oh, wow. So okay. we are actively recruiting, and we have had people contact us who are interested. And so, uh, you know, before we're done, uh, we, I'm sure that Frank can give us the contact information for the study, but yeah, we're, we're, we're ready to go. Excellent, that's, well, that's awesome. So yeah, if there's anybody uh, listening to uh, the show uh, at the moment who thinks that they might be a candidate, then we will uh, give information on, on how you can uh, apply. And uh, this video will also be going uh, up onto YouTube. And so anybody who uh, watches this video in the future, then uh, yes, you'll, you will have the application information if you, uh, if you keep on watching. Actually, uh, Dr. Lane, why, did you want to give us the, the information on how to apply now, just so uh, we get that out of the way? Oh, sure. Um, the first place you should go is the main website for the project itself, which is located at chicagolighthouse.org forward slash ICVP. So that's chicagolighthouse.org forward slash ICVP. Okay, just drop that into the chat sir, for those on Zoom here. Okay, we also have an email address that you can email us at at ICVP at IIT.edu. Okie dokie. And we have a phone number that you can call with uh, area code 312-567-5300. And interested people can also um, find the clinical trial and clinicaltrials.gov. All right, so we got all that in the chat here. I know that's a lot of information, but there's no that's good. ways you can reach us. Yeah, the more information, the the better for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Dr. Lane, I was I was uh, wondering if uh, we could pick your brain because I was kind of interested um, in talking about uh, some of the psychological uh, impact of some of this stuff, and um, I'm assuming that that's uh, that's uh, somewhat your area. Um, uh, one of the things I would in I was interested in is I noticed in the uh, the applica uh, application requirements that the individuals who are, who would take part in the study would need to be well adapted to their their vision loss. Um, so I think it was um, they have to have lost their vision 
uh, a year or more ago yes. and also be well adapted uh, to their vision loss. I was just wondering if you could uh, speak a little bit about uh, that and also how you would define uh, somebody as being well adapted. Well, I think a good example of an adaptation would be someone going through um, uh, vision rehabilitation. So that could be something like orientation and mobility training, or it could also be independent living skills training. Um, and what we found is that individuals who um, have embraced what it means to be blind, who ambulate um, around the city and who use public transportation mm -hmm. um, to get around and who are independent, who have a strong support system at home, um, are all individuals that are ideal um, for this for this study here. Yeah, because I, I know working with clients uh, personally, and I'm sure you're the same with this, Corey, as well. Mm. Um, oftentimes, people who have lost their vision recently, and, and that could even be, you know, uh, a year ago or, or more, um, sometimes they still have unrealistic expectations about things that they read about uh, online in terms of, you know, different uh, potential ways that they might regain their vision, um, whether it be, you know, through stem cell therapy or through projects like this. And um, those unrealistic expectations, I think, can, can be dangerous because, um, you know, it's important for a person who's lost their vision to, um, to get the rehabilitation training that they need and accept the fact that they are visually impaired and that's going to change the way that they do some things. And if they think there's a miracle out there that's going to restore their vision, then they're less inclined to, you know, to follow that path. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it is very important for people to be to understand um, exactly, you know, the limitations of the project and what they might expect. I think from the project standpoint, too, I mean, obviously, you know, patient claim comes first. But I think from a project standpoint, too, you want individuals who are well adjusted, again, coming back to that pioneer and being able to provide good information if individuals are coming in thinking, that this is going to restore their vision yeah. they're not prepared and they're not ready to a you know ac accept the limitations of of the vision that may be restored you know and b they aren't going to be able to really communicate and 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 embrace this this trial so i, I from both sides it's it's very important yeah for sure yeah um how do you think people will react to the vision that they that they are given, uh, Dr. Lane? Is there any uh, any ideas about uh, you know uh, how it might improve their quality of life? I know you had said before, like the curb um, as an example, but I'm kind of wondering, like, um, is it expected that people will be able to see things with good contrast? Uh, only and like basic shapes, so like door frames and window frames and things like that. Um, is there any indications there? Dr. Troy could speak to the to the current processing software and how it detects. Um, but the um, the individuals that I had interviewed who saw phosphenes from a much earlier um, version of that um, were their their initial uh, response to that was excitement. The okay. fact that they could see anything at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we, I had my own bias when I came into the project 12 years ago, which was I didn't think that this would be regarded as any type of vision mm -hmm. to someone who's blind. And in fact, what we've learned is that we were wrong about that, that anything that can improve function and can improve independence um, is, is, worth, is worthwhile, but it yeah. also improves quality of life. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It almost seems like at this point in, in the current, you know, in the current level uh, of vision that it, it may provide, to me, it almost seems like a, an a, another tool for your toolbox, right? Yeah, you, yeah. you, you, you know, after having this this procedure done, it wouldn't be expected that you would pop out of your house and walk uh, around town independently you would still use a white cane or, or some kind of mobility tool, but the, the new information that's being provided to you, if it's contrast of you know, sidewalk versus ground, whatever it might be, is just going to add 
uh, more information for you to use to better accomplish whatever your goal is. So, mm -hmm. you know, it almost seems to me like uh, just another tool that will be used with other tools currently. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. <clears throat> and it's a very good way to look at it. Um, and but, you know, when we started this project, everybody was kind of thinking of what was commonly called the scoreboard vision. So you remember an old scoreboard at an old ballpark that had light bulbs, you know, mm -hmm. that sure, it sure, formed sure. a face or something. And I think that was kind of the somewhat naive view of what we thought that would be. But, you know, with very sophisticated image processing that's now available in very compact form, you could use this interface to encode information about specific objects or specific shapes in a unique way. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, even though you might not be able to, with the phosphenes, replicate the shape of a car, if you had a unique pattern of phosphenes, and if your image processing system said, oh, there's a car there, it could present that to you, and now you could learn to see in a new way. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? That mm -hmm. we, we, there's different ways we could use this interface beyond just constructing sort of pixel by pixel what an image would be. Huh. And we are hoping in the project that there will be some aha moments where the participant will say, oh, I just perceived this, and we'll say, ah, there's a tool we can use. Yeah. And then we'll build up the tools that are in this toolkit of artificial vision and then uh, really allow for the, for the use of it by the, uh, by the participant. So, um, oh, we lost you for a second, but I see you're back. So I thought I was gonna have to take over and pinch it for you, but you're still muted. Yep, you're still muted, so uh, I assume you'll you'll unmute in a moment. In the meantime, you know, I could I could start tap dancing or something like that. Yeah, so there you go. I think you're. Yeah, back. we should be back now, hopefully. Yep. Oh, that was weird. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. We uh, suddenly lost bandwidth for no apparent reason. And then, so. and then it automatically muted us. And then it muted us. Maybe it didn't like what we were saying. Um, <laughs> Dr. Troig, I was you know one of the things that you said that 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 I that seemed really kind of interesting to me and and even promising is this thought of. I mean, obviously, the ultimate goal, you know, and maybe it's not, I shouldn't say obviously it's the ultimate goal, but, you know, in a perfect world, replicating uh, normal vision would, would be a great end game. But really, it seems like the point of, of a, a tool like this is to provide independence and, per, and to improve functionality. So, like you said before, you know, if, if, you st if people start to identify unique patterns as, as objects and a, and a car always presents itself in this way. It doesn't matter what it, it actually looks like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, I, I mean, and, and being able to being, and I think that would be so, that'll be a, an interesting thing for the participants to be able to disconnect and say, you know, a car looks like this. Well, sure, but not anymore. A car right, now right. looks like this instead. And to start, and, and in that, and to me, that seems like it's almost more obtainable. Um, yeah, that, you know. in, in a way, then it also, it actually, maybe like for people who never had vision, might actually be easier in some ways because they're not Could expecting be. to see a car. Sure. If they're told like this square is a car. Sure. Then... This, this unique shape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Once yeah. you get to a yeah. point where you can start to map out unique shapes yeah. and consistently yeah. and and, yeah. and that, so that's you know yeah. it's important not to think of it as restoration of vision but artificial yeah. vision yeah, yeah you know yeah. technological vision and so sure. and i mean you could even um you could even use the system to encode other information like infrared you don't yeah, have to be actually, limited to the visible yeah. light spectrum I was going to ask you that, but I thought it was sure. stupid because as you were talking, I was thinking, oh, yeah, like you could uh, you could do all sorts of kind of like robot vision stuff with yeah. this. Yeah. It'd be great for jewel thieves when they have all those <laughs> those beams they got to get through. All those, all those blind jewel thieves <laughs> around, yeah. For sure. That's a very cool thought, though. I didn't, yeah. so, again, something I didn't think of. That's yeah. really awesome. Um, yeah, I, I kind of... Um, I can't help but think uh, of the brain port um, when we're talking about this, because the brain port is like a very similar concept, except the electrode array is on the, the tongue um, instead of being in the brain. So, I mean, it's a whole, 
it's a whole sensory substitution kind of way of doing it. Um, but it's basically the same idea. I mean, the electrodes for the brain port are stimulating the tongue. The electrodes for the ICVP are stimulating the visual cortex. And I know that the brain port tends to work best with high contrast um, things. So is that kind of expected to be the same yeah, with the ICVP? You know, sensory substitution is not new. Um, in mm -hmm. fact, right, the, right. at the earliest stages, it was done with uh, an array of, of uh, I think, vibrating stimulators that was on the back. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, it sure. was, you know, but, um, you know, the problem is that when you do sensory substitution, you rely upon a map translation in the brain, right? Right. Because yeah. the tongue isn't connected to the visual area of the brain. Mm -hmm. And so you have to then do a map translation in the brain. And so it, it's kind of the wrong interface, right? It's like trying to play the piano with your elbows. <laughs> yeah, it, sure. It, it, it's the wrong interface, but some people can be very good at that kind of spatial map translation. Yeah. Whereas yeah. others find it difficult. But here, since we're going directly to the vision area of the brain, I think we have the greatest opportunity to exploit the tremendous vision processing that's there. You know, almost half of the primate and human brain is dedicated to processing vision in some form or another. Wow. <laughs> and you have a tremendous amount of neural machinery there that that can be tapped into, which is has always been the thought that this could be a real advantage of cortical devices over retinal devices because mm -hmm. at the retina you're you're limited to what nature gave you at the retina whereas at the brain you're limited to what nature gave you at the brain but there's so much more right and yeah, yeah and so uh and of course the vast majority of people who do have severe vision impairment do not have intact retinas or optic nerves mm -hmm. and so you know that's why this project has really been pursued by so many people for so long, because the potential gains are high, even if it's not immediate. Yeah. And I do want to ask you about um, what potentially might lie in the future of this type of project. But uh, first of all, we do have a couple of questions here in the chat. So um, somebody asked uh, what age range the participants need to be in. Frank, you want to take that? Yeah. Uh, the candidates need to be between the ages of 18 and 70 years old. Okay, well, that's a really good, uh, good yeah. spread, yeah. Um, Doug asks if it might be possible to detect distances by varying the intensity of the signal, um, which I think is an interesting question. Like, uh, will you be able to tell how far things are away? Because, I mean, um, with binocular vision, the differences that you get from the two eyes give you the depth perception. But obviously, in this case, that's not going to be there. So how, how would that work? Well, this speaks again to this issue of it's an artificial interface. We don't quite know how we can use it, how sure. we could encode things into it. And the more creative the person is and the more uh, observations they can give us, the greater the likelihood is for these aha moments where we can say, ah, we could encode distance this way. Right. right. And uh, and again, you know, uh, capability that helps somebody in visually guided tasks whether mm -hmm. it replicates actual biological vision or not is valuable to someone particularly who has no light yeah. perception. Sure. Yeah, sure, I mean, you could sure. even do color, you know. I was just thinking that color, color gradation. Color, color, yeah. yeah the stronger the color. Some, whatever it might be. Yeah, because yeah. again, it, 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 when, yeah, like when, you start, when you stop thinking it, of it as restoring vision and yeah. start thinking of it as a tool, mm -hmm. um, then color to some degree, you know, can be used more different. than yeah, yeah different exactly, exactly. yeah and yeah. from previous work that's been done it is known that you can get colors by the stimulation and manipulating the stimulation in a certain way so mm -hmm. back to the car analogy you know uh if you had a group of red phosphines in the in the middle of your vision field whenever a car is detected by your vision system you could turn on the red phosphines yeah and sure, say yeah. hey i got a car here you know danger yeah so, warning yeah, yeah 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 so this is exactly right and this is exactly the kind of creative thinking that we're hearing you know f from you who who does have a vision impairment that can help guide the project sure, and that's what yeah. we're looking for we're looking for the participants to really be researchers along with us mm -hmm. very cool excellent excellent and then we have another question here um yeah, so somebody, somebody basically says that it sounds like this process uh, could involve several years of learning, uh, relearning, you know, vision uh, in a new way. And I think, I think that's, uh, that's a, fair, a fair point. Uh, I, I sure. think it is. And we yeah. don't really know how far it can go. 
Yeah. And, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, our, what are probably naive notions about how to manipulate the vision system to start with may be completely swept aside by what we find out during the study. Sure. sure. So yes, yes, indeed. Um, you know, if you, you think, how long does it take you to learn to walk? Yeah. You no, know, yeah. actually you don't learn to walk. You learn not to fall down. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, sure. <laughs> you know? and, and so, yes, yes. There, so the, it, the interface, the brain interface here is really the key feature. Mm -hmm. yeah, and that yeah. it's implantable, it's, it, it's safe from the FDA standpoint, it doesn't pose a safety risk. And we now have more electrodes to work with over a bigger area of the brain than anybody's ever had. And I wanted to uh, just push you on that point. We are reaching the, uh, the end here, but um, I'm assuming that um, the major limitation, apart from the fact that you don't exactly understand you know, how it's going to work at the moment, but uh, one of the big limitations must be to do with the number of electrodes that can be put onto the visual cortex. Is that a correct assumption? And, and if so, do you expect um, that to improve just naturally as, te as technology improves? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, presently, the devices are designed to have 16 electrodes that are in this little circle that's about the size of the button on the AA battery, which is about, mm -hmm. you know, half a centimeter. But that's only the current technology. Uh, other electrode arrays allow for uh, up to uh, 100 or more electrodes in that same space. So we chose these particular ones because it was an achievable technology for the study we wanted to do. But yes, once we could establish that there's basic feasibility here, now we're just looking at technology to improve density. And that's, that's the history of our technology, right? Mm -hmm, I mean, we're all doing exactly. stuff today that would have been unheard of 15 years ago, right here. Mm -hmm. in, in, and it's because of the improvement of technology. So we do yeah. expect that that will happen. So we're laying the ground, we're laying the building blocks right now that will guide how to improve that technology. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. All right. Well, uh, we have pretty much reached the end of our uh, hour here. So uh, I do need to uh, do some closing things here. If anybody has any questions quickly uh, before we finish up here, then please get them into the Q&A or the chat. And uh, I would like to thank Drs. Troik and Lane for joining us today. It's been extremely informative. And if you are interested in um, applying to be a participant in the study, then the information is in the chat. But uh, just quickly here again, uh, you can go to chicagolighthouse.org forward slash ICVP. You can email ICVP at IIT.edu. You can call 312-567-5304. Uh, and you can go to clinicaltrials.gov uh, to see um, the information there on, on the trial. Um, do uh, you, Dr. Tro Dr. Troikin Lane, do you have any closing thoughts for us before we uh, finish up here? Uh, no, only that uh, we appreciate very much the opportunity to be able to speak to your listeners and um, and uh, the whole team is is ready and very enthused. So I urge, I urge anyone who feels they might be interested. We have a two step process. It's pre screening and screening. So you can learn about the project first and all that. And, and there's sure. there's no real strong commitment up front. Okay, so yeah, if you have any interest at all, then get in touch and uh, find out uh, more about the project. Well, yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us. Just, yep. just to, for those that are stepping off, uh, again, we are ACVREP eligible. Head over to vision-forward.org slash Live. And your exit code for this afternoon is Cortex. It is indeed. Let me put that into the Cortex chat Cortex is your uh, code. Again, vision-forward.org slash techtalklive. Click on the evaluation form under the ACVREP resources heading and uh, fill that out. And of course, don't forget to visit our YouTube channel. It is, well, yes. What is our YouTube channel, Corey? Our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash infocustechnology. Indeed. We produce weekly videos, so uh, if Tech Talk Lives get posted, and then the opposite weeks of Tech Talk Lives, we produce 15, 20-minute videos or less, usually around 15-minute, and those are more produced videos diving into specific products. Uh, most recently, we just had a two-part series on the Clover Book Pro and the Clover uh, 10? Nope, no, that's that one, you just gave the game away. And that's the next one to release. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, Never mind nobody has uh, any idea what's coming out next. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, talking of next, our next Tech Talk Live, Corey. 
What do we have going on in our next Tech Talk Live? Our next Tech Talk Live is... Yes, uh, I can't remember. We do have a schedule, but you asked sadly... You because uh, you couldn't remember. I couldn't remember, yes. Sadly, uh, sadly, I can't remember off the top of my head, but head, we do have yeah. a schedule. So. Head over to vision-forward.org slash Live. You'll see a schedule there. And um, you, including us, will all learn yes, we'll, <laughs> what's, we'll, we'll uh, what's up doing. next. And uh, I do know that not next time, but the time after, we will be having somebody uh, from uh, WeCabon who make the brain ports. So uh, oh, yeah. that should be a nice, interesting one as well. But that's not next time. That's going to be the time. And then also quickly at the end of September, September 30th, we're going to have a special Tech Talk Live as part of our Vision Connections Conference hosted by Vision Forward. And we're going to have a panel on a couple special guests, both uh, both individuals have been on Tech Talk Live before, and I guarantee it's going to be uh, no, quite be entertaining. Yeah, so that'll be, be September 30th. And with that being said, thanks again, Drs. Troy Cam Lane, and we look forward to seeing you at the next Tech Talk. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another Tech Talk Live. If you enjoyed Corey and Luke's antics, join us again in two weeks. To register, visit vision-forward.org slash techtalklive.